0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today on this Tuesday, January 25th. There's cold across a lot of the country today, and the grain markets are a little back and forth. Soybeans both sides of unchanged today, corn a little higher, but the wheat market is on fire. Concerns about tensions in Russia and the Ukraine are continuing to move that market. Oh, lots of stuff happening around the world. On the show today, we're going to be talking to Dan Haustrom about some good news coming out of Nigeria for American meat exporters. Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services will join us in segment two. We'll take a look at Friday's cattle on feed report and what to expect with the cattle inventory report coming out at the end of this month. And in segment three, Lee Sanderlin is a reporter with the Jackson, Mississippi Clarion Ledger, and he's been tracking for four months the story of a grain elevator that's gone broke and taken the fortunes of lots of local farmers down with it that battle continues lee will give us an update on the show and at the end we're going to talk to kelly newenhouse he's a board member of the national corn growers association he's out in dc he's going to give us a little update about how conversations are going there in the nation's capital but first i promise we've got good news for meat exporters out of nigeria to give us a little more insight dan halstrom the president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation joins us and dan what's the big announcement for nigeria
1: Well, good morning, uh, Mike, and thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, we had some really good news uh, where processed products, sausages in particular, are being allowed uh, for export to Nigeria, which which may not sound like a big deal, but Nigeria um, has been very restrictive on all food imports from the globe. So this this is a step in the right direction, Uh, the ultimate goal being to get all products uh, eligible, but this is a good starting point anyway.
0: Absolutely. Now, what what is it about Nigeria that, that keeps them hesitant from importing uh, foodstuffs from around the world?
1: Well, they've just been a, a very restrictive economy, um, not only with ag products, but in a lot of ways with a lot of different
0: industries.
1: And, uh, um, you know, the uh, <clears throat> Nigeria is the largest population based in the continent of Africa, over 200 million people, uh, and uh, in the largest economy in Africa. So, Um, It's definitely uh, a market of the future without a doubt and the other thing a lot of people don't realize is that Africa in general, but Nigeria in particular, is one of the youngest demographics in the world. Average age of the population is in the low 20s, so you're going to have an emerging economy with a very young demographic in the next five to ten years. that will definitely be demanding uh, higher quality food products. So we think the timing of this announcement is very, very good.
0: Absolutely. That's fantastic to get some young folks, develop a taste for some American meats. And Dan, I know you've had a chance to travel to Nigeria. Can you fill us in? I've never been to Africa. What's it like in Lagos in an an emerging economy on a continent of Africa?
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're right. We've been doing some uh, some research there over the last uh, five or six years. Uh, My trip, I think, was in 2015 and 16. And we did go to Lagos. Lagos is the capital of Nigeria. And uh, it's one of those cities that uh, nobody knows how many people live there. It's one of the largest cities in the world. Uh, You know, you could make the argument it's 20 plus million people that live in that city. And quite honestly, it reminded me of Mexico City in the in the 1980s, uh, just this gigantic, enormous uh, mass of people, um, and and it's a lot of very poor people, but there was also a lot of very wealthy people, and um, that's usually how these markets start. Is uh, not everybody could afford our product nor would we target everybody, but uh, there's signs of some very uh, high end demographics, and for example. Uh, when I was there five years ago, uh, one of the stores we went into near the embassy uh, looked like a Whole Foods, you know, had organic uh, grains, uh, you know, they had the organic meat, uh, uh, you know, it was very, very high end. And um, so th- this is this was really a good sign. Um, uh, when, in a country where most of the retail is traditional outdoor wholesale, Uh, The emergence of modern retail has been very slow, but that will catch up. Uh, There there is a demand, and we're starting to see modern retail emerge in markets like Nigeria today.
0: All right. Well, Dan, I want to ask, as we look ahead to Nigeria potentially being a larger export partner with the U.S., fill us in, if you would, a little bit on their economy. I understand Nigeria is very oil-dependent. Are there concerns about the, the decarbonization happening globally for their future?
1: Well, I think without a doubt, um, you know, as a lot of countries, and you're right, that petroleum is one of their keys. Natural gas is another one. Uh, these countries tend to be very uh, mineral and resource rich, um, which is an advantage in some ways. And you're right with the focus on the uh, on, on the climate issue and decarbonization and all this. They probably will have their challenges, but. Uh, But but it's a very fast evolving uh, part of the world and uh, where it took uh, Mexico, for example, back to my previous example, it took them 20 or 30 years to really develop in a very efficient modern market that it is today. I'll guarantee in today's environment, it will not take Nigeria 30 years to develop. I mean, we're going to see significant development in this part of the world in the next five to 10 years, which which, in my opinion, will will definitely uh, translate into a business opportunity for agriculture in the U.S.
0: Absolutely. Dan, where else, as you look at the continent of Africa, do you see some opportunities developing for meat exporters here in the U.S.?
1: Well, today, we actually have an office we developed. We uh, opened it in 2019. We have an office in South Africa, Durban. Uh, South Africa is a very viable market today and and the second largest economy in the continent. But we see a lot of other opportunities, Uh, Ghana, Angola, uh, Kenya, uh, Senegal. Um, These are all uh, much smaller markets than Nigeria, but nevertheless, uh, really in the same category of how I describe Nigeria. You know, there are traditionally a lot of outdoor uh, <clears throat> traditional wholesale markets, is their retail, but we're starting to see the modern retail emerge in these countries as well. And In fact, Luanda, Angola, or, yeah, Luanda and Angola, the capital of Angola, is one of the highest. Uh, uh, value cities in the world, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Uh, so you you do have uh, a high income, or I should say a higher demographic uh, part of the market already established in a lot of these countries, which would be the starting point for U.S. beef and pork, but the middle class is emerging as well. This is the opportunity going forward is an emerging middle class in a lot of these countries.
0: It certainly is. We're going to start with some processed meats, get them worked up to pork chops and steaks. Dan, when will shipments of processed meats to Nigeria officially start? Does it take a few months to get the wheels under them?
1: Yeah, it'll take a few months. Uh, I mean, the export library is updated today, but it'll take a little bit of time for the supply chain to get set up and get going. But I would hope that we start seeing shipments the next uh, several months, without a doubt.
0: All right, it's great to see American agricultural products finding additional homes around the world. This was Dan Halstrom. He's the president and CEO of U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for that update.
1: My pleasure, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. We'll talk cattle more when we return with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services.
2: Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.
0: Recently on AOA, Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from StoneX, is joining me. And Josh, urea prices down for the second week in a row. Is the peak behind us?
3: We're uh, we're finally starting to kind of get ahead of this thing. It seems like we've killed enough demand. You know, we've got production back up and running here globally. But at the same point. Some of the stuff going on with Russia, you can certainly paint a picture that we've got another peak in front of us. I think we've got a heck of a roller coaster ahead of us.
0: How should producers be handling purchases? Of-
3: I think you've got to keep having a conversation out there with your supplier. We've always been you know, focused on this, the pricing of it and supplies and things like that. But we've also got to remember, we're midway through January. We are not that far away from spring starting up. And as hard as it is for a lot of the farmers to pull the trigger on buying the product, that retailer's in the exact same boat. The more we can have the conversation with them, and you don't even have to pull the trigger, but at least give them a heads up of, hey, I need this much, I need that much for this time frame, that time frame. Give them a fighting chance for trying to get those supplies in place so that they're ready for you
0: when you show up on the door. For the information important to rural America, join us on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and rangers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson all right folks welcome back to aoa we're going to be checking in hopefully with dennis smith from archer financial services here in just a few minutes before we do that i wanted to give just a quick update we have been seeing this wheat market catch a bid. We talked about this yesterday with Garrett Toy on the program. He was with us, and boy, the traders are watching that. As of this time right now, we're still seeing wheat up over 10 cents on the board. It's really the only market that's moving. I shouldn't have said that. Oats are screaming higher. Oats, March oats up 24 and three quarter cents on the day. As of right now, May up 24 cents. Man, oats at six and a quarter. Boy, they are fighting for some acreage this year. I tell you what, it sounds like we've got Dennis Smith here with us. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to join us today.
6: You're welcome, Mike. Good morning.
0: Let's talk about Friday's cattle on feed report. Dennis, we saw that come out uh, after the trade had closed. And boy, the cattle on feed total inventory number, that was a big one this year.
6: Yeah, the, the inventory is up 1% from a year ago. But I would point out, Mike, uh, the uh, what we call the 120-day cattle. Cattle that have been on feed for 120 days or longer is actually lower than this time last year. Uh, those heavy placements were were kind of being run off of wheat pasture. Placements out of Texas were up 17%. And that's a testimony that this, this wheat situation, you just mentioned wheat prices rallying. Well, it's extremely dry in the panhandle, western Kansas, Oklahoma uh th- this uh, wheat uh, will not hold cattle and so they are rushing them off of the wheat and into the feed yard
0: so dennis with that being the place i mean total placements it looks like in the friday's report were up six percent over 2020 when you see this kind of a jump this many feeders moving into feedlots early what does this tell you about the remainder of the marketing for those animals does it change much in how you uh i mean i imagine they're going to grow a little quicker if they're in feedlots already
6: well, what happens is it's lightweight animals. Your, your lightweight calves under 600-pounders, they were up 11%. So a lot of lightweight calves are going into the feedlot. And then the next up weight category was up 8%. So it's lightweight cattle moving into the feed yard. And, and while I don't feed cattle for a living, but I think the rule of thumb is if they go into the feedlot lightweight, they come out uh, as finished cattle at typically lighter weights as well. Um, it also indicates that uh, these cattle will be bunched up against the summertime frame, uh, say the second half of summer. Uh, so presumably the selling should be focused in the June and the August. That's not really been the case for the first couple of days. but eventually it should be
0: all right dennis you know you touched on the fact that these calves when they do come to market later on this year might be coming to market a little bit lighter weight what have what has the trend been for carcass weights i know we had some heavy animals last summer we were moving through uh processing facilities has that continued to come down
6: well no it's been a heavy weight heavy carcass weights right on through we should peak any any week now These weights should start coming down. But, you know, as we've indicated, it's dry in a lot of cattle areas. A lot of the feedlots are not having a mud problem. In fact, uh, they they have virtually no mud. So uh, that's allowing weight and performance to to be very high at the feedlot level. Uh, But weights should peak out. They should start trending lower. And, of course, the price of feed looks like it's really going to come into play here in 2022. That would encourage a movement uh, of cattle out of the feedlot a little quicker uh, to to shut off that feed bill uh, as, uh, you know, they they really begin to consume a lot of feed when they get to be pretty heavy animals. So uh, weight should uh, peak and go down. That has not really started yet
0: all right well dennis while we've got you on the phone we got to pick your brain about what's going on in these markets here you mentioned live cattle we're seeing some weakness today in the live cattle complex where do you see us moving from here can cash trade get up to 140 later on this week
6: yeah i'm actually uh bullish the cash market and think that futures are probably overdoing it to the downside The, the board i think is telling you that it'll be a lower cash market this week. And and honestly, I'm not expecting a lower cash market. I guess worst case, it's a 136, 137. Best case, they expand the kill. It seems like they are are having uh, some success at getting labor back into the uh, packing plants. And I would not be surprised if the weekly slaughter comes in above the projection. Currently, Mike, we're projecting a weekly kill at 644,000. That's up from 636 last week. It would be really encouraging if that actual kill came in around 650,000. And that would bode well for the cash market, not only later this week, but for the rest of the month and into February.
0: Absolutely. The more of these animals we can get uh, taken off the feedlot and turned into hamburgers, the the better we're going to see. Now, Dennis, I'm seeing feeder cattle pulling back pretty hard today. Is this report related or are we just seeing general concerns about feed costs spill over into the feeder cattle market?
6: Well, I think it's a combination of a stock market woes and the stocks are back down today in volatile fashion, although we're still off the, the lows from yesterday. Uh, still, the the Dow Jones is uh, down almost 600 points, and the E-mini is sharply lower. So there's a combination, uh, and also corn prices continue to crank higher. March corn up three and a quarter, as you reported, and uh, and the deferred live cattle are holding. They're only 25 lower. So the feeders at 200 lower. And again, I'm, I just have a bullish bias, and I'm also thinking ahead to the biannual cattle inventory that comes out Monday. I expect it to be bullish, showing a big downturn in beef cows. So I, I cannot be bearish the feeders here on this break.
0: Okay. You mentioned you expect to see a, uh, a pretty bullish number in that uh, hog, or excuse me cattle inventory report on Monday. Dennis, do you, do you have a number in mind yet?
6: I don't really know exactly what the numbers will show. It's difficult to predict, but to, you know the beef cow herd should be down, in my opinion, two percent or more. And then the interesting number would be the, the the heifers for beef cow replacement. That number should also be down. And uh, we've been liquidating the beef cows uh, for a solid year, and in fact, it's still continuing.
0: Yeah, it is that drought across the northern plains last summer and the ongoing drought in the southern plains. A lot of producers are feeling that squeeze. Dennis, I know you're a cattle guy, but you keep an eye on all the markets. And I want to ask you about the hog market before we let you go. Just pulled up the May contract to take a look. And from January 11th through today, we've put 15 bucks on the May lean hog market. What's going on here?
6: It's one of the biggest moves you'll ever see in the hog market, and Mike. Actually, I think it's uh, it's got a lot uh, to go. I'm uh, quite bullish the hog market. We're seeing a real shortage of uh, butcher hogs, available hogs for market right now, and uh, the the packers are kind of hiding behind the skirt of Omicron, suggesting that the downturn in the kill was solely due to labor problems associated with COVID. And I don't think that's the honest truth. I think the truth is the hogs are not there. Uh, the supply is much shorter than, than Pennsylvania from the hog and pig report. And the main drivers, the main reasons are PERS, PEDV, and the Delta coronavirus has hit the large integrators and they've had a miserable time. And we are just working with fewer hogs available for the market than what everyone has expected.
0: Boy, Dennis. So as I look out there and I see those summer months already trading one hundred five, one hundred six, one hundred seven. Do you have a topside target in mind for, I guess, where this market could go and when we could really see these prices start to get volatile or more volatile?
6: Well, I think it continues to crank upward into the early spring, or, or I should say, late spring, early summer, and I I fully expect last year's highs and the summer hogs to be challenged and mike that's above 120. that's like 123.60 i think was your high in the june hog last summer uh before the market topped out i fully expect a challenge in the 120 area in the summer hog contracts
0: dennis real quick before we let you go if hogs are going to have this much gas in their tank come summertime is that going to spill over into beef do you think
6: most definitely. We've been buyers of the October live cattle, and we're even reaching out into the February 23 live cattle. I see a lot of upside potential in
1: these deferred cattle contracts.
0: Boy, a lot of upside potential. That is probably music to a lot of cattle producers. Here's Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Thanks for taking the time to join us today.
6: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: And, folks, stick around. We'll have an update from Lee Sanderlin on the Express Grains Terminal down in Mississippi when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right
7: up.
2: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at DTNPF. Dot com backslash
5: field posts you're listening to aoa for the american ag network i'm jesse allen reporting well as we take a look at the market trade here working through the morning hours the trade is fearful this week as we continue to watch rising tensions between ukraine and russia chinese military aircraft flying over taiwan as well and also the fed meeting here this week The VIX volatility index surging to a nearly 15-month high yesterday, reflecting rising fear levels on Wall Street. So we're watching a lot of factors in the markets. Crop prices fell sharply lower Monday, but quarter-week came back to close on their highs, and bean prices were able to regain some of the losses as well. Here so far this morning, we see corn and wheat continuing higher with wheat leading the way once again. And soybeans are firm to slightly lower around the unchanged mark here in the early go of things so far today. Going to be watching these markets very closely. Stock market was able to rally back from some thousand points lower at one point yesterday. We'll see if that continues here today. U.S. dollar index rose to a two-week high this morning as well. Now, as we take a look at the numbers, March quarter up four to a quarter, 625 and a quarter. July quarter up three to three quarters, 614 and a half. March soybeans down two and three quarters, 14 and a quarter. July beans down two and a quarter, 1411 at three quarters. March bean meal down 270 a ton, 391.20. March soybean oil up 39.6236. March Chicago wheat 17 and a half higher, 818. March Kansas City wheat up 16 to three quarters, 834 three quarters, March spring wheat, seven and a quarter higher, 9.55 and three quarters. Lean hogs, February up 37, 86, 70. Feeder cattle for January down 17, 158.30. February live cattle down 17, 136.15. Crude oil up 66 cents at 83.97. The Dow Jones down 700 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
0: Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson hello folks thanks for tuning in to AOA appreciate being a part of your day well we have to talk about counterparty risk in agriculture as our finances grow and for a lot of folks 2021 was a pretty good year in the ag economy we had a lot of farmers report good yields particularly in the eastern corn belt and as we're dealing with good yields and high prices A lot of times what we do with our crop after it leaves our farm has big impacts on our bottom line. The idea of assessing the risk of those we do business with, our counterparties, in any agreement, can be a challenge. And it can be tough. And sometimes crooks can sneak past you. Well, there's a story that's been developing for the past several months down in the Delta region. And Lee Sanderson from Jackson, Mississippi, he's a reporter for the Clarion Ledger down there in Jackson, he's been tracking the story of the express grain terminals and their bankruptcy. Lee, thanks for taking the time to join us on the show today. Hey, thanks. Uh, Good morning now i want you to, if you would give us a lay of the land down there express grain filed for bankruptcy in september bring us up to speed lee what is going on here with these with this grain elevator
1: well i,
3: I think honestly you, you have to start before september you, you have to start uh, in, in the spring and summer uh, when you know folks folks have got crops in the ground uh, and express grain spent spent the summer promising uh good prices and, and, and speedy speedy payments uh, to the farmers in the Delta, and as recently as, as September 28, uh, you know, their their president, um, John Coleman, sent sent an email to farmers and said, you know, I, 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 the the clip the, the last part, the most important part, where he said, you know, uh, we've got uh, several lines of funding secured to make sure everyone gets paid on time, keep those combines rolling, and uh, the very next day. Checks started bouncing, and the company declared bankruptcy. And then a bank, uh, now the state bank, seized all the all the grain that had that had been delivered, and the farmers, a lot of farmers, hundreds, never got paid. Since then, there there have been some lawsuits. There there have been a lot more information uh, come come to light. Uh, Express grain uh, apparently submitted for years fraudulent audits to the state uh, Department of Agriculture and Commerce in order to keep uh, to keep and maintain its, its uh, grain, it's, uh, gosh, what's the word? It's grain licenses. The warehousing
0: so, well. licenses, yeah. yeah the, wa- the warehousing
3: so, licenses,
0: the dealer license. And so, Lee, they've been making these claims. Nobody had caught on to it this summer. They, uh, they might have had some additional financial troubles. I know that's still being sorted out. They promised they'd be able to make their payments. Farmers delivered grain. Their elevator was full. Then the bank foreclosed and took all the grain effectively as far as I understand very few if any farmers have been paid yet for the grain that they that has been seized so far is that right
3: pretty much anyone who who delivered before bankruptcy was not paid now since bankruptcy a line of credit was established and, and some folks have been paid some but those you know that that category of people is a lot smaller than the roughly 200 or so that had uh, you know made deliveries prior to September 29. So
0: that's that's the difference. And so, Lee, for growers who are currently caught up and now they are treated just as creditors along with their banks and and other lenders to express grain, what's the roadmap forward look like? Have have you heard anything from the state? Is there any way to make these farmers whole? What's the conversation down there in the Delta right now?
3: Well, the state doesn't really want to do, not want to, I'm not sure what the state can do. I mean, obviously, you know, the state could decide that they want to bail some of these farmers out, but it's it's hard to bail. I think from, from a lawmaker's perspective, uh, it's, it's hard to bail out one group of folks that, that get ripped off from fraud and then not bail out, you know, any other every other fraud group that comes along. So I think lawmakers feel their, their hands are tied in that regard. They've introduced some bills to kind of maybe discourage this from happening again and to create a voluntary grain and program for farmers. Um, but, you know, but none, none of those, like you said, none of those make this, this collective group of farmers whole. And uh, I mean, to be, to be frank, I think there's a lot of pessimism on their behalf about ever getting paid uh, from, from this, from this year. Yeah. It just, it doesn't yeah, look I great
0: s- at, at the moment. I saw some, I saw some figures. It looks like the total debt load of Express Grain is over or close to perhaps $160 million. Lee, it just doesn't sound like the assets are going to be there to get these folks repaid.
3: Well, I think that's the problem is the assets haven't been there for, for years. For a number of years, the company's auditor uh, or the, you know, the, the, the firm that they hired to audit them said that we, we have concern about your ability to continue. You have a lot of debt, and your assets aren't going to cover it when that debt comes due. It would take a massive increase in production uh, on your side, to Express's side, to kind of claw out of this hole. Now, Express, uh, you know, if the state knew that, Express the state would have pulled Express's license. Um, so that's that's why I think what led Express, and this is speculation, but Express to, to submit fake audits to the state, kind of concealing that and making it look like they were a company that was either turning a turning a very small profit or or mostly breaking even.
0: Boy, Lee, I mean, this is so frustrating to read these stories. So the the state of Mississippi continued to grant them uh, licenses to hold grain. They were a licensed and I'd assume bonded grain dealer. But those licenses were built on fraudulent claims reported in fake financial statements. I mean, are there going to be criminal charges?
3: well um you know i, I can report that we're, we're we're about 30 minutes from publishing a follow-up to that regard uh there is a from 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 you know i've had several people tell me uh, that would know uh on condition of anonymity that there is a criminal investigation into the into the company because this would amount to i mean this this amounts at least on paper to, to what appears to be criminal fraud and whether I mean you know it's it's one of the most cut and dry examples you'll ever see. Once once I obtained uh, the actual audits, um, which was before the court unsealed them late last week, you know I think it was it was pretty clear to me what was going on, and it sounds like it's been even more clear to some of our uh, law enforcement authorities in the state for, for weeks now. Uh, you know, criminal investigations. Uh, can take time to develop, but it, it looks like we might be headed that way.
0: Lee, you mentioned mentioned the out of state bank, UMB bank. I believe they're out of Missouri. They were the ones who, who really kind of launched this thing. I guess you could say with their foreclosure and I, I'm curious as to how, how things are going at the company is, is UMB running things at express grain? How does this work when a bank can take title to grain that I, as far as I'm aware, should still be in the farmer's name?
3: I mean, that's a great question. Uh, Some say that the the Colemans are still managing day-to-day operations. Um, But, you know, uh, to be fully transparent, I'm not sure. I believe the bank's legal claim to that grain was collateral. And, uh, you know, I I wrote a story in November about the original lawsuit that that a a class of farmers, they filed a class action suit, basically alleging that, that the bank pressured express to offer good prices and fill its warehouse well warehouses knowing that that express couldn't pay and that once Express's warehouses were full they would have some form of collateral to to call back a bit of that money
0: there they oh wow Wow. So so just so I understand it, the bank told the elevator, hey, we know you're or maybe they didn't say it, but they looked internally and said, oh, boy, these guys don't look healthy. Let's get as much local grain in there as possible and then foreclose and then we'll have collateral that you think might have been the, the mindset
3: that 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 was I mean, that is the the thrust of a class action lawsuit that is still in its infancy stages. I mean, the bank is not responded to the original complaint yet. They've been granted a motion to continue. Um, and the farmers themselves actually amended their original complaint to what they feel would make a more fact-based case. But it doesn't, I'll, I'll, you know, what what we think we know for certain, or what the what the farmers' attorneys think they know for certain is that several times in 2020 and 2021, uh, express grades loans were due and the bank granted an extension uh, for repayment, which, Huh. I mean, maybe it might be a little conspiratorial, but it is very <laughs> interesting timing that as soon as those those warehouses were cool, uh, you know, the loans were called.
0: Yeah, boy. And, you know, anytime you see a collapse like this of a business, obviously there are local jobs, there are local folks who have relied on this company, both uh, buyers and sellers. Uh, is Express Grain still in operation? You mentioned the Coleman's might be running day to day operations. Are they are they still taking grain?
3: Well, under, under bankruptcy law, you know, they're, they're allowed to the continue functioning. They, they, they can't make material changes to the company until the bankruptcy case is settled. I mean, that's, to, to, to try and even determine the outcome of this would be speculation and, and you know, journalistic malpractice on my part. But from, from, from what I understand, based on what I can read, and I would, you know, note that the Coleman family is not talking to anybody. Uh, about this, and obviously for for good reason, uh, on advice of their attorneys. But the best I can glean is that, yes, deliveries continued after the bankruptcy, and because, you know, they they were in the legal protections of bankruptcy, a line of credit was established, and some farmers were paid who delivered after September 29th
0: okay all right so we don't have any insight as to how long uh, they might stay in business it's just going to continue as is lee i know you have been covering this story for the past four months you're going to continue you mentioned you've got another follow-up coming out shortly where can our listeners follow your information to keep up to date on what's going on
3: well you know i encourage you to come to clarionledger.com or you can follow me on twitter at lee o sanderlin both places you'll find some express Ray news
0: Fantastic, folks. Check it out. This story is developing. Keep an eye on who you're doing business with. We can't always prevent everything, but we can be alert. Thanks to Lee. And when we return, we'll talk to Kelly Nuenos about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. This is Around the Table, where we discuss the benefits of cooperative ownership. Joining us this week is Cash Yant. He's an animal nutrition sales manager with CHS, and we're going to talk about how to manage a successful winter calving season. Cash, let's start with the basics. How important are nutrition and proper body condition heading into calving?
7: On the beef side of things, uh, the name of the game is to hold what body condition and body reserves we've put on before that time period. There's so many environmental factors that that go into the winter months uh, that it's unrealistic to ask these cows to put on condition. So really honing in that third trimester nutrition uh, and doing what we can ahead of time uh, pays dividends throughout the course of the program.
0: So, Cash, what is the ideal body condition score ranchers should aim for and how can that be impacted by a drought year?
7: Yeah, you betcha. So body condition score really is kind of regional, you know, depending on what you have for grass and forages available. Um, some ranches like to operate cow herds at about a four on the body condition scale. Uh, most of the guys uh, in, in Montana where I'm from, uh, we like to see them about a five or a six body condition. And, and you know, the, the correlation between that body condition um, can be equated to the time it takes that calf to get up and get its first delivery of colostrum. Um, there's some data that comes out that, that, that has been out rather that tells us uh, a body condition score cow of three uh, her calf takes about 60 minutes to stand up and take that first intake of of nutrients and colostrum. Uh, if we just bump that cow a little bit, feed her a little bit extra aggressively and get her to a five or a six, Uh, that time is cut in half, and that calf stands up in about 35 minutes. So 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but if we think about the calving window for most guys, uh, that's winter, that's cold, and there's a lot more than one cow trying to have a calf that day. So that 30 minutes is very vital to get that calf to to become profitable, begin its immune system, and and really stay in production for that rancher for the rest of that calf's life.
0: And thanks for joining us here at Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com recently on agriculture of america john holsman he's the geopolitical strategist and managing partner at john c holsman enterprises john let's talk odds you mentioned you see putin making a move if you had to lay a figure on it would you say it's over 50 percent?
4: i do it's about 60 it's not a sure thing uh but it's more likely than many of my competitors are saying because putin can do it he wants to settle the matter of russian nationalism he wants A borderline of states sympathetic to him from Belarus, through the Caucasus, through Ukraine, and into even the Balkans, as well as the Middle East, to protect Russia, Mother Russia, from possible invasion and to keep the West farther away. And that's how Putin looks at the world, again, like a Russian czar.
0: And it sounds like the Ukraine would fight in some capacity to repel an invasion, but it could be quite a battle.
4: It could fight, and its army is much better than it was in 2014. It's much better trained, but the Russian army is superior.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Agriculture of America. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Folks, really happy you made AOA a part of your day. We like to keep you up to date on everything that's happening in the world of agriculture, whether it's grain elevators in the Delta, taking down 40 to 60 million dollars worth of farmer equity, or farmers in Washington, D.C., doing the work to make sure agriculture continues to find good open ears when we're out there telling our story joining me to close out the show today is kelly newenhouse he's a farmer from primgar iowa but kelly you're out in dc today how are things going
4: hey mike it's great to be with you yeah we're out here with the national corn growers leadership academy we've got members from mississippi north dakota minnesota nebraska iowa kansas and ohio and we're going to the hill the, a few days here in D.C. and uh, sh- sharing our message on our priorities at this time. Well,
0: that is good to hear. We got to keep developing leaders in agriculture. Kelly, what have you heard from the other participants? What's the story on uh, corn around the country?
4: You know, I guess we got four main policies or priorities at NCGA um, at this time. Um, there's always a lot, but uh, four that we're focusing on, um, fertilizer costs is the big one this year, you know, with our commodity prices about doubling, but yet our fertilizer input costs have tripled or quadrupled. Um, we're a little disappointed in some of the situations with import tariffs that Mosaic put in place on phosphorus fertilizers from Russia and Morocco, and uh, we're trying to get those import tariffs removed and, uh, and getting these uh, costs back in line where, where they're more reasonable.
0: Um, have you had conversations on the tariffs with uh, with folks in D.C., Kelly?
4: We have. Um, we're going to continue to share this message. And that, You know, another thing we're working on while we're here is tax policy, and, and this is mainly protecting the stepped-up basis for uh, the family farms to be passed down to the next generation and also small rural businesses. So that's a priority. International trade is pretty important to uh, American agriculture and agriculture. Uh, uh, right now, with the, our partnership with the U.S. Grains Council, we're kind of focusing on USMCA and Mexico's decree to ban GMO corn, um, which would be very detrimental because Mexico is our largest export market for corn. Um, we're always pursuing free trade agreements. And, of course, we got um, the phase one agreement with China. We need to uh, uh, keep being aggressive with them, with them to have them um, keep their commitments to that uh, Trade, trade policy and, you know, of course, uh, I'm here, so uh, I'm, we're going to be talking a lot about biofuels um, with our legislators. Um, uh, the year-round E15 um, policy or program we got in HR 4410, the uh, year-round Fuel Choice Act that we're supporting, and then also the Next Generation Fuels Act is something that I've been working on at NCGA, on the ESAC committee with the rest of the committee and the staff for about over four years. Um, We recently had that introduced by uh, Representative Budos of Illinois and currently have uh, 19 co-signers on this bipartisan bill. And basically what it is is a futuristic bill to uh, get the auto industry to design high compression engines that take high octane, low carbon fuel like ethanol and, uh, you know, we got all four of Iowa's congressional leaders, aren't as co-signers, which is tremendous. One exciting thing is we actually got a representative from Hawaii signing aren't as a co-signer. And that's directly related to the Iowa Renewable Fuel, Biofuels Tour that we have in Iowa every summer. Um, we invite D.C. staffers to Iowa to tour ethanol plants. And uh, they were really impressed with the process of biofuels and uh, became very supportive so it's kind of widening our base and uh, we're looking for several more co-signers to get the next generation's fuel back across the finish line but uh, uh, that's just part of our messaging that we're doing here in in dc
0: that's fantastic and to see concrete, tangible proof of what a legislator visit can do. You brought somebody from Hawaii to an Iowa ethanol plant. Now, here we are a year, two years later, now they're coming around and they're helping support ethanol. Kelly, you mentioned uh, on your Twitter feed that only six and a half percent of all congressional leadership has an ag background for our listeners and myself, who have never gone to D.C. to to talk policy. How do you start a conversation about ag when they have no experience in the field at all?
4: Well, it, you know, it's just uh, it's just telling your story. Um, you know, I've been in a lot of different states over the years. I've probably been here 10 to 12 times. And, uh, you know, today we're, we're meeting with our local or our state representatives and senators, but I've done a lot of non-corn state uh, members of Congress and the Senate. And uh, it's just kind of putting a personal message to agriculture and uh, getting their support You know, even if they don't totally understand it, and we know one thing's for sure, the 1% feeds 100%, and our biofuels industry is tremendous for our air quality and lowering fuel prices. So, uh, you know, those are just some of the messages we're bringing. And, you know, another thing we're really focusing on now in the biofuels industry is lowering our carbon um, standards, our carbon scores, the CI indexes. And, you know, with the improvements in farming practices, the improvement in production practices at ethanol plants, and, and now the new new thing of carbon capture and storage, which would drastically lower our carbon footprint for the biofuels industry and make us even more viable moving forward is, is the messages we need to continue to share with our legislators.
0: Kelly, you're in D.C. What's what's it like being in a major urban area here in the midst of COVID? Are you masked up everywhere you go out there?
1: Yeah,
4: we do do have a mask mandate when we're out in, in indoors, outdoors. We're fine. Uh, we do need to show our vaccination card um, to go into restaurants and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's been It hasn't been a real issue. Uh, We've been able to maneuver around and and get into restaurants and stuff for meals. It's
6: just something new.
0: Something new, always something changing. Kelly Newhouse keeping the folks in D.C. up to date with what's happening on the farm. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us.
4: Thanks, Mike. Enjoyed it.
0: And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk coming changes to entry-level CDLs, and we'll also talk about other laws happening in Congress. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity in aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and
7: nitrogen? Check, check, and check.
0: Oh, man, that is
5: good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with Hemis.
3: So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at
7: your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural
3: Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS
1: and this radio station.